For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As we discovered when we last studied together, God seldom does things the way we would. In fact, Paul admitted that God's ways usually seem foolish to the world. Instead of sending a militant Messiah to save his people, God sent a suffering servant to die on a Roman cross. Instead of wowing the intelligentsia with profound philosophical wisdom, God's message for mankind is that he loves us enough to die for us. And that the only way to real life is through death. No doubt that sounds like foolishness to the world. Even though I trust we've come to see the wisdom in that foolishness. And you know, there's something else that must seem a bit odd to the world, and that's the way Jesus started his church. You know, if we were going to establish an organization to get a divine message to the world, how would we do it? We'd probably organize a team of powerful, influential, moneyed people, making sure to include a celebrity or two, and then uh, take our message to the masses every way possible. But Jesus didn't do it that way. To start his church, Jesus chose 12 uneducated nobodies. Fishermen, a tax collector, and others so insignificant that it isn't even recorded what they did. And he poured his life into them for three years. And then he handed over to them the most important work ever given mankind. You know, it didn't make sense. But from those 12 men came a church that spread throughout the world and has survived for nearly 2,000 years. They were just ordinary, average men. And we don't expect much from someone who's just average. Don't tell my grandkids, but when I was in high school, I was just an average student. And when I graduated from Lincoln, the academic dean noted on my transcript that I had done better than expected. <laughs> I didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> And that's the first time I've said that publicly. <laughs> oh. But you know, it is true. It is true. We don't expect much from someone who is just average. And while most of us tend to think we're better than average, you know, we are certain our kids and grandkids are, you know. And kind of like in Lake Wobegon, where all the children are above average. Do you remember that phrase? Uh, three of you old-timers do? Okay. Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with just being ordinary people. The fact is, most of us are average. Because whatever most of us are, 
Guess what? That is average. We're ordinary people. And God made most of us that way for good reason. And in our text for this morning, Paul reminds the Corinthians that they are just plain, ordinary, vanilla people. But that God was doing something through them he couldn't do with extraordinary strawberry and fudge royale people. Let's see what he said. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What did God do with the believers in Corinth? The same thing He wants to do with us. He chose them, He used them, and then He exalted them. Let's take a closer look at what God does with ordinary, average people. First thing we learn is that He chooses them. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Paul said, there are not many wise or mighty or noble who have been called, who are in the church. Now, he didn't say there weren't any. And a Lady Hamilton, uh, that's not Lady Mary, now that's Lady Hamilton, okay? Lady Hamilton, an evangelical believer among the British nobility in the last century, used to say that she was saved by an M. Because if it had said not any mighty or noble, she would not have made it. But the M changed it all and let her in. He said not many. He didn't say not any. And in Corinth, there were a few who had standing in the community, but again, not many. Sosthenes and Crispus, who had been rulers of the synagogue, were there and were no doubt men of some repute. And close to the end of the letter to the Romans, which Paul wrote while he was in Corinth, he mentions a man named Erastus, who was a city treasurer. There's also a mention of a man named Gaius, who was evidently a, a wealthy businessman in Corinth, but that was about it. Most people in the church were just plain, ordinary, average, and even below average men and women. Many of them were slaves. 
And the low social status of the Christians wasn't missed by the elite of Roman society any more than it's missed by the elite of our society today. Many times those who name the name of Christ and who gather in worship are minimized by our culture, almost ridiculed. It's nothing new. Listen to what uh, a philosopher named Celsus had to say in uh, 178 A.D. He wrote that the Christian point of view was this. Let no cultured person draw near. None wise, none sensible. For all that kind of thing, we count evil. But if any man is ignorant, if any is wanting in sense and culture, if any is a fool, let him come boldly. (laughs) Of the Christians, he wrote, We see them in their own houses, wool dressers, cobblers and fullers, the most uneducated and vulgar persons. Said Christians were like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nest, or frogs holding a symposium around a swamp, or worms in conventicle in a corner of mud. That's pretty harsh. Pretty harsh. And I trust it was a bit exaggerated, but Paul does say that according to human standards, there aren't many wise or influential or noble in the church. You don't come into the church to raise your status in the community. Some think that is why they come, but they're going to be selective of what kind of church they go to. One that's held in high regard in the community. But not most. Not most who come to Christ are noble or wise or influential. Why is that? Is it because Christianity only appeals to the lower classes of society? No, no. It's because God particularly chooses those who are foolish and weak and lowly and despised by the world. He wants His church full of that kind of people. Why? Because He wants to do something through them that He couldn't do with a church full of wise, strong, influential, highly respected He wants to demonstrate His wisdom and His power through them. He wants to use them for His glory. Let's read on. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that He might nullify the things that are that no man should boast before God. Now, Paul uses neuter adjectives here. That's why... We read foolish things, base things, and so forth. But Paul is talking about people. God deliberately chooses 
foolish people to shame the wise. He deliberately chooses the weak to shame the strong. He deliberately chooses the base or lowly, those who aren't of the nobility, to despise, the outcast of society. He chooses those who are considered zeros by the world to bring to nothing those who think they are really something. So if you're a nobody, and you think you're a nobody, and if you've got nothing to offer God, you are exactly what He's looking for. He wants somebody He can use. Somebody He can work through. You know, one of the greatest awakenings of the 19th century began in Cambridge University in England when D.L. Moody and his singer Ira B. Sankey went to that center of learning to hold some meetings. Now, Moody was considered a backwoods American preacher, and the students resented the fact that he was coming to speak in the center of English culture. So they decided that when he spoke, they would hoot him off the platform. It almost sounds like the reception conservatives get on university campuses today. Anyway, when he got there, he... He opened by having Sankey sing, and then that quieted the students some. And then, as soon as Sankey finished singing, Moody stepped to the edge of the platform, looking directly at the students gathered there, and he said, Young gentlemen, don't ever think God don't love you, for he do. <laughs> the students were dumbfounded. And for a minute, they just sat there, and he said a little bit more, and then he said again, Don't ever think God don't love you, for he do. <laughs> you know, there's something about that very ungrammatical structure of those words that, that threw him off and captured their attention. And the intense earnestness of this man spoke right to their hearts. And beyond all superficiality and multiple degrees and external things, an awakening took place at Cambridge University at the hands of a genuinely humble servant who just spoke from his heart. God uses the foolish and the weak and the lowly. Why is that? Paul says it's because he doesn't want men to boast before God. You see, if you think you're somebody, if you think you're wise and strong, and approach ministry with the attitude, this is what I'm going to do for you, God, you'll most likely fall into the trap of pride and self-sufficiency. That in effect says, I don't need you, God. I've learned all the tricks of the trade. I can do it myself. And under the guise of working for God, you'll actually become independent of God and eventually separated from Him. A Christian businessman put it this way. It's my pride that makes me independent of God. 
It's appealing to feel I am the master of my fate. I run my own life. I call the shots. I go it alone. But that feeling is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I'm dependent on God for my very next breath. It's dishonest of me to pretend that I am anything but a man, small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is is self-delusion. It's not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake. When I am conceited, I am lying to myself about what I am. I am pretending to be God and not man. My pride is the idolatrous worship of myself. And that is the national religion of hell. He's right. He's right. And that's why God wants people who recognize they need Him. He wants to take them and make something out of them that they could not make of themselves. God doesn't want self-made men. He wants God-formed men and women. Sometimes with our our drive to, to be educated, we begin thinking we have all the answers. We can do it. And there's nothing wrong with being educated. I'm delighted. Many of you are pursuing degrees. You are learning. You're growing. You're understanding. Just be sure you take that and humbly offer it before the Lord and say, now use me any way you want. Don't plan out your life and say what you're going to do for the Lord. Say, Lord, here am I. Use me. And they surprise you. Your degrees may not do anything you thought they were going to do. God may open up a door totally unrelated to what you've studied or trained for. That's okay. Just say, Lord, use me. That's what He wants. That's what He wants. He wants people who recognize they need Him. That He wants to take them and make something out of them that they could not make of themselves. He wants to use them to demonstrate to a deceived world where real wisdom and power and honor lie. And through them, draw men to himself. So if you feel like you're a nobody, you're probably ready for Christ to make you into somebody. And that he will do. For he is in the business of taking ordinary people of this world and exalting them. By his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Did you catch that? It's by his doing, you are in Christ. You didn't even find God. He found you. 
Then he took someone who was a nobody and made them into somebody. He took someone who was foolish and he made them wise. He shared with you the hidden wisdom of the Creator and Sustainer of the universe. You have a wisdom that no man can find on his own. And a wisdom that doesn't come from educational institutions. It's a wisdom that comes from God's Word. From our Creator and our Sustainer. He took someone who was weak and He made them strong. He sent His own Holy Spirit to indwell you. To supernaturally empower you for life and for all eternity. He took someone who was, as Paul says, base and despised, and he gave them real worth. That's what Christ does for ordinary people who recognize their need and respond to his call. Through Christ, according to the wisdom of God, we are given righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Our base nature is buried with Christ. We are given His character. We are made righteous. We are made like Him. And our weak, stumbling attempts to do right are taken and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live life truly set apart for service to God. And then ultimately, our redemption will be complete when He comes back for us and gives us a body to match our new character, our new nature, and sits us on thrones to reign with Him for all eternity. That is the way Christ exalts those who recognize their need for Him and give themselves to Him. He makes us into redeemed Children of God. And that gives us unimaginable worth. We can hold our heads high in anyone's company. We can even boast about who we are. Not that we made ourselves great, but that our Heavenly Father accepted us, even in our sin and failure, and made us into somebody. We can boast about what He has done for us. How He gave us everything we need to live abundant, productive, eternally significant lives. We can boast about the wisdom He has imparted to us and our role in the scheme of things because He shared with us His plan for the ages. In fact, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can boast about that source of power. All of this can be ours. It can be yours. If you'll just quit deceiving yourself about your own wisdom and might and status.
And that's hard. Everything in our culture tries to bolster our self-esteem. Article in the paper today about uh, selfie esteem now. <laughs> We've gone beyond self-esteem to selfie esteem. <laughs> and how we can impress the world by the pictures we take of ourselves. We want to impress the world by a picture of Jesus that we demonstrate. We don't want the world to look at us and say, wow, he's something. Wow. He's something. We want the world to look at us and say, wow. What is God doing? God is amazing. And he wants to amaze the world. And he wants to amaze the world through you. And through me. Someone who's just average. God takes ordinary, average people and uses them to his glory. And bottom line, whether we think it or not, guess what? We are all ordinary, pretty average we may have a special gift here, a special ability there. We may have a characteristic that sets us apart from others, and that's cool. God makes us all different. But bottom line, bottom line, we're all just ordinary people. And God wants to work through us. That's all. That's all. If we will humble ourselves, before Almighty God, and if we'll just be honest before Him, He will exalt us. He'll take us just as we are and make us into all we can be.